celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. And uh, this is uh, Dr. Brian Chilton, Curtis Evelo, the cowboy apologist with us. And so we're so glad that you're with us, believe it or not. So a couple of things. Last week, we had some scheduling conflicts uh, that um, where we couldn't have uh, our episode last week. So we're actually combining episode 30 and 31 end of one episode and so tonight believe it or not it's hard to believe but this is the final episode of season six so we're going to take a few moments to uh, discuss uh, my dissertation uh, called semitic residue and so we'll talk about that on tonight's podcast and we're also going to give you a preview of what lies ahead for season seven and folks we have some very exciting things coming up for season seven in fact even as good as this season has been i dare say that season seven has the potential to be the best season yet since we've started on this episodic format, uh, the seasonal episodic format that we've employed here on the Bellator Christie podcast. So we've got some great things in store for you coming up uh, season seven. And it begins uh, September 7th. We've already had we already have the date. Uh, Thursday, September 7th, 2023 is is uh, the first episode of season seven. So you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to talk about. Bibliology, we're going to talk about anthropology, bibliology, the study of the Bible, anthropology, the study of human beings, and then uh, homartology, the study of sin. And then plus, we've got some guests uh, that's going to be on with us, guest authors. We're going to have some guest speakers coming in, uh, hosting some of these, uh, or we'll be interviewing them, but they'll be talking about some of these issues so just great stuff ahead. We'll talk more about Season 7 as we move ahead. Uh, one quick thing, Conversations About Heaven is available to you now. Go check it out. And if you would be so kind, uh, go on Amazon and leave a positive review. I would be eternally grateful uh, for that uh, because that, that helps get the information about the book out there. So if you would kindly consider leaving a positive review on Amazon, I would greatly be appreciative of that. So without further ado, let's turn it over now to our cowboy apologist who will lead us in this discussion, the one and only Curtis Evelo. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how how uh the spring weather's been going for you, but boy, it's been pretty nice. It's been uh rain every every uh couple of days and then sun for a couple of days and, and so it's been kind of nice. Uh we've been enjoying it, that's for sure. We we've had kind of a upside topsy upside down topsy turvy uh, season so far. I mean, it's been beautiful today, but they talk like uh, that we could very well have the coldest uh, the coldest day coming in in May uh, ever recorded in, in since this has been recording weather uh, coming up this this Saturday. It's going to be in the fifties. 
Uh, so that's going to be a shock to the system, but, but we'll get through it by God's grace. And we want to say hello to Philip Atkins tonight. Good to see you guys. Uh, good to see you, Philip, and hope you're doing well. If Philip, if you or anyone else has a question to share, be sure to plug it in, uh, either on Facebook live or over at youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. <laughs> 50 degrees is your coldest day. My goodness. In May. In May. Not the coldest day all year. In May. <laughs> uh, so um, I don't know how excited you are, but, um, you know, the, the end of the season kind of is a is a bittersweet. But but yet it's uh, it's amazing the content that we covered in season six. So, um, Absolutely. man. I just uh I just think we we covered some serious ground and looking at uh looking at the next one we're going to be doing the same thing as well but let's go ahead and jump into this this one here cuz this is part of your um part of what what made you a doctor what what helped you get that uh doctoral degree so this is what you studied on so um semitic residue that's uh episode 30 that's what we're on right now so Let's just go for the first one. What is Semitic residue? So Semitic residue is is a name I came up with, a name I devised, uh, and it's it's it speaks to Chiltonism. Chiltonology. There you go. <laughs> so it speaks to the the nature of of uh, well, well, let's just let's just break it down. Semitisms. Uh, a Semitism is a Jewish um type of vernacular a type of word uh whether it is in aramaic or whether it is in hebrew uh those are semitisms those are those have the the traits of uh, flavor of of judaism if you will of the jewish language and so uh when we talk about when we talk about semitisms or, or semitic residue we're talking about evidence of early semitic materials that reveal the presence of oral traditions that predate the finished product of the Gospels. Now, I was inspired to look at, at this material from a, in a class uh, that I had with Dr. Gary Habermas, and he taught a class on uh, the New Testament creeds. And so within the Pauline epistles, uh, the letters of Paul, there are these creeds, uh, that predate the finished epistles themselves. And a lot of these, these creeds, uh, date to the very earliest time of the church, uh, to, to the time of, you know, up till like within five years of Jesus's resurrection. But he, mm. but he brought up the point in saying we have this material for, um, for the New Testament epistles, for the Pauline epistles. But no one's really studied much lately into the Gospels and seen if there's early material in the Gospels. Well, the mm. light bulb went off, and I thought, aha, I love the Gospels. That's been an area of focus I've had many years. What can I do in this? And so I spoke with him about it and uh, started investigating some areas. Dr. Purser was my uh, dissertation chair, and and uh, he led me to some materials that – uh, that we we really researched together, and I came across some information um, that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, information that actually happened back in the early 1900s, 
But then mid-1900s, it kind of dropped off. There was still interest there, but it dropped mm. off. And so I kind of wanted to kind of revive uh, that interest, especially Oscar Kuman, uh, Joachim, I think is how you say his name, or jo- Joachim, however you say it, Jeremiah. He did a lot of research in this area, as have many others. Uh, but looking for evidence of early oral traditions that date back to the time of Jesus. And so for the purpose of this research, I use the Gospel of Matthew because it's the most Jewish of all the Gospels. And so uh, if this thesis can be shown, which I show in this research, then it stands to reason that the oral traditions undergird the Gospels, that undergird the Gospels, are much earlier than the finished written texts. And so even if the Gospels, now let me just give this as a preface, I believe I'm a traditionalist. I believe the Apostle Matthew wrote Matthew. I believe the Apostle John wrote John. I believe Mark served as the interpreter of Simon Peter. And I believe the, believe the physician Luke recorded oral traditions in his gospel as well. But even if we couldn't prove that, even if we couldn't prove that, and even if the gospels are late, I believe, I believe Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written prior to 64 AD. But even if they were, even if they came in 80 AD, as some people propose, it doesn't really matter because these oral traditions would date back to the earliest times of the church and even date back to Jesus himself. (laughs) I'm smiling and smirking because I, I know the inside of this. And so, (laughs) so, um, (laughs) Mm. I'm telling you, man, this is uh, intriguing stuff. So tell us about what you came up with, three models of, of the oral tradition. Okay, so there there are three models. As I was looking through this, there are three models. And by the way, this is going to help you understand some of the New Testament criticism that's that's around today. Okay, because the New Testament skeptics and critics that exist in certain parts of the world today or certain in areas of scholarship come from one particular model, but there are three. So when we talk about oral traditions, let me just first of all preface this by saying we're talking about uh, stories, uh, messages that are passed along from one group to another, generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And let me say, uh, well, let, let me pause. I'm getting ready to say for a little bit later, for a little bit later on, because I'm getting ahead of myself. But the German school, there, there's one school when it talks about oral traditions, there's, there's a, there's a guy who is really well known for discussing, uh, oral traditions and he comes from the German school of thought. And this guy is a guy by the name of Rudolf Bootmann. He's a German guy. Now, I have German blood in me, and I'm not proud of this, <laughs> this part. But Rudolf Bootmann comes from a German school, and he has he proposed uh, an idea that he calls the informal, uncontrolled model. Okay, so in his mind, when we talk about formality, we're asking the question about was there anyone that was specifically chosen to pass along the information. When we talk about controlled uh, information, we're asking whether there were things set up to to pass along accurate information from one group to another. So he proposes that it's informal in the sense 
that oral traditions are informal in the sense that there was no one chosen to preserve the information. It's uncontrolled uh, in the fact that, uh, in the essence, that no one is concerned about passing along accurate information. In fact, Rudolf Bultmann believes, he believes, that the New Testament prophets believe themselves to be preaching the message of Jesus. So what they preserved in the Gospels, according to Bultmann, is their own teachings. So he says that all the Gospels tell us is about what the church believed about Jesus, but we can never know anything about what Jesus actually did or what he actually said. So in other words, according to Bootman, the Gospels tell us nothing about Jesus, and you couldn't extract anything about Jesus from the New Testament Gospels. Well, if he's right then everything, then most of everything that we, what we study in this research would, would not show very much residue at all. And so if he's right, then it would, it would come up on the test of one to seven, seven being the best. They would all come up one and maybe even zero. Okay. But in contrast, some Scandinavians come to save the day. Now I've got about 20% Scandinavian blood. So. So where I was sad on my German side, I'm happy on the Scandinavian side. There's a guy by the name of Berger Gerhardsen. He wrote a book called Memory and Manuscript. Now, it came under a lot of scrutiny, but he and other Scandinavian scholars proposed what they call the formal controlled model. Formal in the sense that Jesus chose numerous disciples. We know that there's 12 disciples but he chose as many as 72 disciples because he sent them out two by two. And this group of disciples were chosen to be the, the, to preserve his message and to carry it on to other generations in the rabbinic model. So what the German school doesn't do, the Scandinavian school picks up and saying that we're talking about rabbinic teachings. We're talking about a rabbi. We're talking mm-hmm. about rabbinic schools that were developed much as other rabbis did in a Jewish culture. See, they go back to the Jewishness of Jesus, go back to the Jewishness of the culture. So in rabbinic models, you would have safeguards around the information. So he is, they would argue that the, the oral traditions are preserved and passed along with great scrutiny, scrutiny so that, uh, that what you see in the message in the gospels are accurately preserved information from Jesus passed through to disciples. Well, he comes under scrutiny because some people say, well, wait a minute. Aren't there some parts of, of the gospels that don't match a hundred percent? What about, uh, some of the, the, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't quite exactly match the Sermon on the Plain in Luke's gospel. Well, does that, does that not cause a problem for the Scandinavian school? Uh, there seems like there is in some areas there may be some fluidity. Well, there's a middle ground between the two. Enter a guy by the name of Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey proposes a middle ground, what he, which what he calls informal and informal controlled model. It's informal in the sense that it's not just a, a strict group of individuals preserving the information. It may be communities preserving the information. And he argues that that is exactly what you find in Middle Eastern cultures even to this day, that you have communities passing along information 
you you may have a teacher, so a, a person who's giving the information, but the community has the permission to correct that guy if he gets off base or if he's not telling it right. Someone will speak up and say, "No, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, you said that wrong. Remember <laughs> this detail," and they'll call you out on it. Yep. And yep. so he says, by this basis, you have an entire community preserving the information and he argues that there are safeguards around certain information and he also Hmm. says that when it comes to issues of theological truth ethical truths you're going to have strict safeguards around that information when it comes to parables it may be a little looser to give you a little fluidity to tell the story to impact the people you're you're uh, telling it to so parables, it may not have as strict safeguards around them as the ethical theological teachings do. And when it comes to like jokes and things that don't really matter, then you have complete freedom to twist that around as you please. But when it comes to the important matters, you, you may shape them to your audience, but you don't change any of the important information. So the question is, as we look at this, uh, the question is, if no, there's no evidence or little evidence of Semitic residue, then the Germans are right. If there's complete evidence across the board of, of strong Semitic residue, the Scandinavians are right. But if there are certain areas that may be a little weaker than there are in other areas, then Bailey's model seems to be the right one. So the question is, which one holds as we go through the material, and and so that's kind of the test we're setting up uh, as we go through this, as we go through the dissertation. Boy, until I heard the last one, I was about to say, "Man, them Scandinavians got it nailed." <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, let me just say something real quickly. I, I went through clinical pastoral education, and uh, in in that group was a lady. She was a Muslim, but she had strong ties to the Middle East. And actually lived in some areas in the Middle East. And as I was, as people were asking me about the dissertation and I described this model uh, of how oral traditions are passed along, her eyes lit up and she says, that's exactly the way we do it in the Middle East. Even to this day, we Mm. have traditions, we have stories we pass along and that's exactly how we do it today. Seriously. Hmm. Huh. And that's how many. How many centuries <laughs> are those stories? <laughs> yeah. And the interesting exactly. thing is that, that research has shown when you get a community involved like this, research, research has shown that. Um, are you still there? I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yep. uh, my screen went blank there for, for a minute. Don't know what happened there. But anyhow, research has shown that uh, volumes of information can be passed along from one generation to another generation without changing any major details wow. whatsoever. Wow. Uh, and interestingly, when you have a, a culture that is uh, that really focuses on um, uh, oral traditions that um, a person's memory is much better than it is if they're trusting and depending on technology to remember things for them. So it's really compelling. Hmm. Yeah. It kind of brings uh, up to the, to the point when the they're talking about Jesus uh, being spotted um, after his resurrection. And, and, and he says, go, go check. There's, there's 
go check with the 500 that he was that he was uh uh involved with and they'll tell you because they're still alive and some of them are still or most of them are still alive so that's interesting so uh what do you set out to prove um in your dissertation then well my, my goal is to show that uh there are um there that there is strong Semitic residue in in the uh, in the Gospels, and so um, so that that's that's the goal. And and essentially the goal would be to show that um, that in the end um, we can trust, even if the Gospels are later than what some people propose them to be, we can still trust what they have to say because of the nature of old traditions mm-hmm. and the fact that you can have. A lot of information passed along from one generation to the next. So while we would say from the year 33 um, to 73, that would be 40-some years, 83 would be 50 years, while that seems like a long time for us, in a culture like this when communities are sharing information as they are, it's really not that long at all. It would be kind of like one week to the next. (laughs) compared to the way things operate now uh it's it's really not as long as as you might think it would be uh given the way things are 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 done so my goal is to show that the gospels contain early jesus traditions early oral traditions that predate the finished written product of the gospels Hmm. yeah i got to thinking about that brian even you said even later dates but there are certain keys that that point towards an earlier date um, with quite a bit of this, quite a bit of this information. And uh, I don't know if you want to cover that now, but we sure can. Well, I mean, and I think that so, so I, I look at that as a, um, a knockout punch, really, quite frankly. <laughs> if you've got this, these oral traditions, if you've got these oral traditions and you can show, as I hope to do in this dissertation, that these that these oral traditions are very early and predate the Gospels, that's that's good. I think we have every reason for believing that these traditions date back to the time of Jesus. But if you have Gospels that are written very early, especially mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, then this is like this is like headline news. Even if it's written in the year fifty or so, and I, I really believe that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before sixty-four A.D. And here's the reason why: it starts with Luke. Luke uh, re- writes a two-volume work in the Gospel that bears his name, and the sequel, which is the Book of Acts. Now, in the end, at the end of Acts, it ends with Paul being imprisoned, and nothing is said of his execution. Now, historically, we know that Paul uh, was beheaded uh, in the year 64 A.D. So if if Luke didn't report that, then it must mean that it hadn't happened yet. So mm. if if Acts is written, say, about 62 A.D., that means that Luke, the gospel, must have been must have been written somewhere around 60 A.D. And he, if he's borrowing information found in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, it been earlier. That means they had to be pushed back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And there's a big debate about who came first, Matthew or Mark. 
And um, I mean, I have my own opinions about that. I, I believe that uh, that the that the prototypical version of Matthew was written before Mark was. Uh, so if you have that proto Matthew written prior to to the Gospel of Mark, then you're talking about that that could easily go back in the late 40s, perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. with the early version of Matthew. But anyhow, even if they're written in the 50s, I mean that is incredible. So, you know, if that you're only talking about 20 years time from the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that is incredible, especially if you have these early traditions uh, that actually predate the finished product of the Gospels as well. Hmm. And wasn't there a, there was a, if I remember studying, there was a Q uh, source involved um, yep. somewhere in that. And, and there was a potential that, that Mark may have, have, uh, use some of that Q information? Yeah, and so Q Q would be what I would consider. Now, not everybody may agree with this. Q would be what I would consider to be part of that proto-Matthew, the early version of Matthew. And gotcha. the, Q, the Q document is information that's shared between Matthew and Luke, but, but is not found in Mark. And it's important because it's shared by both Matthew and Mark. Now, I think it's probably coming from Matthew, early Matthew, which means Luke would have shared that. But it's material found in Matthew and Luke, not found in Mark. So if you count that as a source, Q, and then you count Mark, and then you count the parts found only in Matthew, the parts found only in Luke, and then John, you have five sources there uh, if they're all distinct. Uh, five sources, four gospels, and early Jesus traditions. That's pretty impressive. And just just out of pure wanting pure conversation in this, Brian. What other ancient texts are are that close to uh, the event that they're writing about? None. <laughs> well, None. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I mean, the, the, the gospel, I mean, really, honestly, the New Testament gospels stand alone. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the writings of Homer are found. Now, I, the dates have changed since, uh, Sean and Josh McDowell wrote their books. Uh, so some earlier manuscripts have been found, but, but you have only a handful of documents, uh, for like Homer's Iliad, uh, that something like, and, and again, the dates may be different. I haven't seen the recent data for this. So, I'm going off of memory, and my memory's not what it used to be, but something like maybe a thousand years distinction between that. I mean, in some of the histories wow. uh, that are preserved uh, about Julius Caesar and others, uh, they are hundreds of years. Uh, the earliest text is hundreds of years after the time of the Roman emperors. But no one denies the legitimacy of this. But you have the Gospels likely and very possibly written within 20, 30 years of the events with oral traditions that are passed along, preserved accurately by communities and disciples who've been chosen as a safeguards of this information. Uh, that is pretty impressive. It really is very impressive when you consider the legitimacy of the gospel narratives. Hmm. And, and, both of those references, as far as Homer's Iliad and, and some of the Roman, uh, you know, keeping track of that, th- those were supported by oral tradition to get to that distance as well, right? 
Yeah, some some of them are. Some of them are. Now there may have been some uh with the Roman records, uh there may have been some some Roman records preserved. We we don't know cuz some some records may be lost to us. But um you know there there are certain historians that preserve things. I don't know that in Greco-Roman cultures that there was as much reliance on oral traditions as there was in uh Semitic uh and um Middle Eastern cultures, there may have been. I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but uh, but but the the literacy rate of Jewish people was much higher than it was in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, the, the Jewish people were people of the book um, of the Torah, uh, people of the of the prophets. Uh, so literature or traditions, oral traditions, mean a lot to them. In Greco-Roman societies, I mean, the, the 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 reading levels went downhill quite substantially compared to to their Jewish counterparts. Hmm. So then, why is this work so important? Then it's important because so many people, and you see it with the Bart Ehrmans, not picking on Bart Ehrman, but you see it with so many skeptics out there that they're saying. That, uh, you've heard, you hear people say, well, there's no early eyewitness testimony to Jesus. Uh, you, you hear people say, well, there's no reliable source that's early enough to account for the life of Jesus. Well, if these oral traditions can be shown to predate the gospels, then what you find in the gospels is very early eyewitness testimony, uh, speaking to uh the the teachings of Jesus and the and the deeds of Jesus and i think that you can see that you could have a very reliable uh source of what people saw what people heard uh now when it comes to some of the messages it's important to to recall and remember that these are often sermon summaries uh, mm-hmm. of the messages of Jesus. One of the things I found very fascinating in my research was in the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, and I'll talk a little bit about how, um, how these, some of these texts fared when they were tested. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount was, they did well. Let me just go ahead and say they did very well in these tests that I'm going to talk about. But but the interesting thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that it looks like that instead – I used to always think that the Sermon on the Mount was one big message. Right. I no longer think that. I no longer think that the Sermon on the Mount was is one message. I think these are summaries of mm-hmm. numerous messages that Jesus taught on the Mount – on the mountainside that day. Uh, I think that he very well could have repeated these messages time and time again. I think the Beatitudes may have been one message. I think the message he gave on prayer, and the, including the Lord's Prayer, may have been another message. In fact, I think it's very possible that the, that the Sermon on the Mount may have been a series of messages like an intensive that Jesus taught all week. And so they're summarized and condensed in these little nuggets that we have uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're preserved. Jeremiah, Joaquin Jeremiah even says that there's strong evidence to believe that the Sermon on the Mount was used as an early catechism for individuals wanting, to, after they would come to faith, to learn about the core essence of what Jesus taught and how to, to live as a good Christian. 
so the earliest Christians may have very well used this as a as an early catechism uh, for people who first come to the faith. So, if if Jesus being a rabbi and teaching as a rabbi, there would have been countless times he would have repeated, just like any other preacher that was going around, um, you could say evangelizing or what have you. They have a uh, series of of their own um, sermons that they have um, that they repeat to to get mm-hmm. the rhythm down to get people to understand what they're saying. So would that with the way he was teaching would be a way for them then to um, understand it in a oral tradition way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sorry, Curtis. I just. <laughs> I was looking here. We were recording uh, this on um, one of our apps here, and it just closed out. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, I tell you, the devil is fighting us tooth and nail everywhere we turn. Um, Well, hopefully this recording is is uh, is is catching here on uh, where we're recording at here. So, uh, not sure what is going on here. Oh well, well. <laughs> so it looks like we're still recording. Sorry, folks. We this technology is is a pistol. Sometimes I'll just say that. Um, so, so can you repeat your question again? I'm sorry that the, the computer glitched out. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> so what I was saying was about Jesus being a rabbi and teaching, um, like any other, uh, pastor or preacher would have done a, a series of selected, um, talking points. So he would have been, um, teaching, um, in a oral tradition way. Yeah, and that's one of the things we'll look at as we go through the material uh, tonight, as we go especially through the tests uh, that I'm going to present here in just a few moments to show that uh, there there are signs and there would be things that would have been um, done to uh, so, so like like um, like as we like safeguard like for instance singing a song i was playing i was playing some music ahead of time didn't know i had the speaker didn't know i had it off off mute uh unmuted and i was blasting it in the ears of curtis unbeknownst to me uh playing some some music getting ready for the podcast tonight but when we sing a song <laughs> when we sing a song we often remember the chorus because of the rhythmic pattern and and, and many of the things like that jesus taught in a way uh that would have been easy to memorize the material and there would have been mm-hmm. rhythmic patterns to a lot of the ways that Jesus taught. And even with the parables, while the, you know, while, um, they're, they're stories, people can remember stories very well. And so, uh, this, this, this would have been easy for people to remember. In fact, even, even now we think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I dare say most people who grew, grew up in church could probably even now, uh, tell you about the parable of the Good Samaritan without reading it from the New Testament. They could tell you everything about the story. Now, it may, it may not be a hundred percent as the Bible says as far as, uh, word for word, but they'll give you the information. They'll give you what the story's all about. Mm. Uh, Jesus taught in such a way that would have been easy for people 
to memorize and pass that information along. Yeah. Our, our pastor taught us, um, that parables are like, um, handles, handles on a box to carry that load easier. So you, the handles on the box are, are the parables and the box is the information, the concept, the storyline, the, the, the greater idea, the greater, uh, picture that was needing to be painted or greater theological understanding carried along by them handles. Yeah, I like that. So what were signs, you have signs where there's there's even like some of these teachings on these summaries may even be like little seeds that that mm-hmm. leaves seeds for thought in a person's mind and from that you can you can uh, remember the message and even develop that even into more of an understanding about what Jesus was teaching. So yeah, it's kind of like these little handles. I like that. Yeah. So I, I know you did. I know you developed this, but what what were the seven tests uh, used to evaluate the different uh, sections of Matthew's gospel? Okay, so yeah, there were seven tests. So what I did, uh, what I did is I looked back because I, I was trying to think to myself, how would you show that information? How would you say show that uh, that this early oral tradition uh, is present? And would be something that would be memorized and passed along. So I came at it from several different fronts. Um, I, I came at it from the New Testament creeds, what we know about the creeds, what the creeds taught. And so if the creeds are legitimate, then we should see some similar features in these early Jesus traditions because if the early creeds represent early Christology and understanding of the church from the very earliest times, then you should anticipate that you'll find the same things in the early Jesus traditions. I also looked at several other matters pertaining to rhythmic patterns, uh, looked for things about the culture and, and things of that nature. So in looking at this, um, I came up with seven, uh, using seven, because seven is a, is a number found in the Bible, use seven tests to see how closely uh, these different passages of scripture in Matthew match what we would anticipate to be Jesus traditions. First and foremost, we look at unique rabbinic concepts traceable to Jewish theology. Mm. And I use the Talmud quite extensively in this. Now, I know what you're going to say. Wait a minute. Most of the Talmud, all the Talmud dates after the time of Jesus. Understand, I understood that. But the Talmud is, is the preservation of oral traditions passed along from even the time of Jesus, maybe even before in some instances. So this mm-hmm. is recording what Jewish understanding would have been in Jesus's day and afterward. So it's passing along that Jewish theological understanding. And what I'm looking for here is unique rabbinic concepts, meaning that it flows with Jewish thought, but there's some originality that shows the distinction that Jesus had from the rabbinic thought of the day. So that's the first test, unique unique rabbinic concepts traceable to Jewish theology. The second, this comes from some of the creeds, Christological concepts proven to have derived from early the early church. Uh, and here again, this is the study from the creeds. That's the second test. The third test is to see whether or not there are theological titles and terminology in Greek that relate to concepts of the early creeds in the Old Testament, the Septuagint, 
Did, are there things found there that would have been understood in Jesus's time? Fourth, and this was the hardest test of all, mnemonic and rhythmic patterns used to assist the transmission of oral material. Were there rhythmic patterns in, in the material? Were there those seeds found mm. that would help people understand uh, what's being said and memorize the material to pass it along to other generations? Number five, the fifth test was Aramaisms, uh, Aramaic characteristics and Hebrew characteristics that would be representational of the time of Jesus. That's the fifth uh, test. The sixth test would be cultural concepts that relate to the understanding of early first century Israeli citizens. And then the seventh test would be similarities to the recognized structure of New Testament creedal material in early sermon summaries. Now, what I did is I gave each of these passages of scripture in Matthew that I studied a score from one to seven. Now, however many of these tests they passed, they were given a point. So if the test, if the passage of scripture only passed or only scored one through three, I use the colors of a stoplight here. It's given the color red. Red indicates that the text holds trace amount of Semitic residue. There's something there, but it's not very strong. Yellow indicates, a yellow is uh, talking about if, if the passage of scripture scores a four or five, this shows that the passage contains a moderate amount of Semitic residue, that there's definitely something there. It's not ultra strong, but there's something definitely there. Green portrays passages that pass six to seven tests and thereby specifies a strong connection to Semitic residue in the text at hand. So I give a point for every one of these tests and then I tally them up. And at the end of the day, if they score green, that means there's a strong connection to Semitic residue, early oral traditions. Yellow, there's there's a good amount of evidence. Red is there's a trace amount of evidence in that particular passage of scripture. Mm. And so that's kind of what I do in, in the, and I look at various uh, texts. I look at, um, I look at um, the Beatitudes and the Lord's prayer, the Sermon on the Mount. I'll take three of the parables in Matthew's gospel and test them. I also look at the son of man sayings. Uh, I score, uh, I look at the exorcism and the unpardoned sin. I look at the coming of the Son of Man. And then I also look at two interactions that Jesus has with Peter and the disciples of John and test those. Now, if they all scored low, the German school would be victorious. If they all scored high, the Scandinavian school would be victorious. And if, and if you see a little, if you see that the parables score a little lower, than the other passages of scripture, then most likely the Bailey model is correct. Hmm. So then did the tests reveal anything to you uh, about the nature uh, of the Jesus traditions behind the Gospels of Matthew, behind the Gospel of Matthew? They did, and I'm actually going to see if I can share this with you. Now, my computer is acting wonky, so I'm hoping we can record this. <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm hoping that uh, everything works on the Zoom side so that we can record this because the other recording app I had, it went berserk. I don't know what happened to it. I can't even find it on the computer now. It went so haywire. But I'm going to try to share my screen here <laughs> with you, and I want to show you 
this is the data from the dissertation. And so uh, let me know if you can see it. It should come up here in just short work. And okay. there's there's a chart. I see it. So here's what here's what I look at. So the higher the score, the better. Interestingly, the two passages of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount both scored a seven, as high as you could score. They aced them all. The sermon and I, I'd love to go back and look at other passages of scripture according to this test and see how they score. But both of both passages of scripture scored in the they score a green. Now, looking at the parables, two of the parables didn't score as well. The parable of the harvest almost made it in the yellow, almost. But there was one section of it that really left a little bit of doubt uh, as to as to whether or not it passed that fourth test. It could have been in yellow. It could have been in the yellow, but there was some reservation. So to err on the side of caution, I didn't let it pass. It's the only one in this study that scored in red. Parable of the employer scored a four, could have scored a five, but uh, again, erring on the side of caution, it scored in the yellow. But look at this, the rest of them, parable, parable of the bridesmaids. Remember the, the ten virgins, the ten, the ten bridesmaids, five had, uh, five had the, the, uh, their, their oil and ready for the, the, uh, groom to come and to, to get the bride. Uh, five didn't. It scored, almost scored a perfect seven. It was scored in the green. But look at the son of man sayings. The exorcism, unpardoned sin, it scored a six in the green. Coming of the son of man, it scored a six in the green. Jesus and his interaction with Peter, Jesus and his interaction with the disciples, they both scored in the green. And the last one scored a seven. Three of these scored a perfect seven. Three of them scored a perfect seven. Uh, There's only two that didn't make it in the green, interestingly enough. So I'm of the persuasion, and even as I was looking at uh, the Scandinavian school and how it differs from Bailey's model, I don't think that they're as separate as a lot of people claim them to be, uh, because even Gerhardson even mentioned that there could be some flexibility in certain aspects, fluidity in certain aspects. So he even admits that. But I really believe uh, that uh, Bailey's model reigns supreme in this in this uh, test. But I really believe that you could probably come up with the fourth model that integrates the Scandinavian school along with Bailey is, is to say something of a, a formal, a formalized informal controlled model. So in other words, you have a group of disciples overseeing this community that's accurately preserving information, uh, for, uh, for the Jesus traditions and, and they're really concerned about whether or not they're passing along accurate information to future generations. Amazing. And that accurate information Amazing. is what we find in the Gospels. Hmm. So then why is why is this important to both theology and apologetics? Theologically, Jesus focuses on the kingdom of God being an already not yet scenario. And it was amply that really came out in this research. Uh, the understanding that Jesus held his role, he held his role to be the shaliach of God was a newfound discovery for me. Uh, the shaliach is, uh, one who was a representative of God on earth, but came with divine power. 
you know, he came with divine power. He's ushering in the kingdom of God to earth. And I was surprised by just how heavy the eschatological nature of Jesus's messages were. Um, even the Sermon on the Mount is eschatological. When Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth, He's not saying that's happening now. He's looking to a future time when the meek shall rule and reign the new heaven and the new earth. Mm. And even you may even can say the thousand year reign of Christ and your millennial reign. But the meek is going to, they're going to be the ones who inherit the earth. They're going to be the ones, but that happens in the future. Uh, when you, when he talks about, uh, blessed are those who, who mourn, uh, blessed are those who are hungry now, they, they shall be filled. They'll, he's talking about this future time that's to come, uh, when the kingdom of God is fully actualized in the future. Apologetically, I think there are three things that come out of this research. One, Jesus could have offered, uh, the same message in various locales, uh, meaning that uh, he could have preached the same message many times over in many locations, meaning that this would have been easy for the disciples to remember. They say that after you hear things seven times, you, you really, you really, really begins to sink in. The differences in the gospels that you find could stem from more than one tradition. In other words, meaning that Jesus may have taught the same message in three or four different places and one, in one message, he may have done something comparable to the way Luke shows it. In another message, he may have done it in a way comparable to the way Matthew shows it. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily a discrepancy. They may be two, talking about two different times he brought the message and in a different way. The oral traditions, number two, predate the writing of the Gospels, dispelling the notion that the Gospels are too late to serve as early material for the life of Jesus. And then last but certainly not least, Many of the means by which the early church remembered oral traditions have been scientifically proven to assist even actors today memorize volumes of information for plays and movies. If you act things out and if you give uh, information kind of in a performance mode, it's been shown and not not only with early oral traditions, but even uh, with actors of a play that people can retain that information uh, for a long period of time. There may be things uh, that, that we remember uh, as a child memorizing that still stick with us to this day. So it's interesting that a lot of the things that I, I saw in the oral traditions are things that are actually advocated now in memory research to help our memories, help us remember things in greater detail. Hmm. So <laughs> moving forward with this, what what do you hope to do with this work? Well, I hope to publish this in, in a book uh, coming up here in the next uh, next year or so. Uh, I hope to I, I'm tweaking it a little bit to, to put it in book form. Uh, that's one of the things I'd like to do. But then moving forward, I'd like to take the same model and use it for other research um, with other gospels, looking at how. Uh, this impacts, um, like the Gospel of John. I'd love to do another study on the Gospel of John. How does the Gospel of John fit this material and this criteria? For me, that would be an interesting study. And in fact, quite, I'd love to go back in the other portions of Matthew. Um, I mean, I'd love to look at the post resurrection messages and traditions and see how strongly they fit, uh, with the data as, as the pre 
resurrection materials did. I think that would be another great study to do. So I'd love to take this this study and apply it over into other areas as well. What's what's interesting to me is you've you've developed a a a, a criteria or a way to um be able to you know assess information. You've given the apologetics world another tool to be able to uh, search their own out on this and be able to help see um, how how to how to dig through this information, I think that's vitally important. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that there may be someone out there who's who is good with uh, uh, who may be an ex who might be an expert in Aramaic might be an expert in biblical languages who will jump on board this as well, take the criteria I've, I've presented and even take it a step further in New Testament research to, to really take it a step further and look, look into uh, this research from, from the mindset of someone who knows Aramaic, who knows the material like that. I think that would be a, not not only is this research good for what I'm I'm trying to do with it, but I think it would also be very valuable for someone who is an expert in in the biblical languages to push forward and maybe even press press it forward even more. That's so cool. So since this is the last uh, episode uh, of season six, give us a little preview of what uh, what lies ahead in season seven. And let me first of all say, folks, I apologize if the quality is not up to par. Uh, like I said, I, I don't know what happened. The whole computer went black a while ago midstream, and then um, the, the recording device I've been using, the Audacity recording device I've been using, it went off. It went just wonky, and I can't even find it on the computer now. I, it's almost like it took itself off the computer. I don't even know where it went. It's just one of those crazy things that happened. Uh, but it seemed like it's happened to us this season, has it not? A lot. Yeah, a lot. It's, yep. and it's, it seemed like the, especially as we've moved in toward the conclusion of the season, it's, it's gotten worse as time has moved on. I mean, just crazy things. But, uh, but season seven, yeah, season seven is going to be a very interesting season and it'll start September 7th, 2023. I hope you'll join us. Uh, for what should be a fantastic season. We're starting off in September with two episodes, two episodes with two authors. Uh, we're starting off with uh, author Josh Taylor, who wrote a book called A Preach Well Church. And so he, we're going to have him on the very first episode of season seven. He's going to talk a little bit about his book, published through Whiff and Stock. We also have Dr. Josh Waltman, who works at uh, uh, the library up at Liberty University. He published his dissertation entitled, Why Does God Seem So Hidden? And so we're going to have him on the podcast for episode two. Mm-hmm. So the first two episodes we're starting off with are, are mm-hmm. interviews with two two published authors. And so uh, th- both of those should be very good episodes. Looking forward to that. And then after that, we start our series. Uh, Series on bibliology. Bibliology is a study of the Bible, and we have some very interesting 
episodes coming up. In, in uh, episode three, we're going to talk about, ask, ask the question, has, how has God revealed himself? We're going to look at Theophanies, Christophanies, the Holy Spirit, how God reveals himself to the Holy Spirit, the incarnation, the spoken word. Initially, we were going to divide this up into two podcasts, two episodes, but we're going to try to tackle it in one big one. And so uh, that's going to be a very interesting episode as, as we start Bibliology. We're also going to look at divine covenants. How has God had dispensations or covenants with humanity throughout the history of time? What are these covenants like? What What is the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant? We're going to look at all these different covenants, and especially as it applies to the Bible. In October, we really start cranking things up because we're going to have Dr. Deanna Huff on with us. She's going to talk about the models and theories of biblical interpretation. So we're going to have her on with us. Then we're going to talk about, we're going to ask the question, what is the Bible? It's important to know what the Bible is. What is the Bible? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about Theonoustos in First mm-hmm. Timothy. Uh, Paul uses the word Theonoustos when he talks about Scripture uh, and, and inspiration. We're going to have an episode on that. Dr. T.J. Gentry joins us for Episode 8. We're going to talk about biblical inerrancy. Does it really matter if we believe in inerrancy? Why or why not? We're going to have a good discussion on inerrancy coming up on episode eight. Then coming up in November, we have five Thursdays. We're going to take one week off for Thanksgiving break. Uh, but we'll, so we'll have four episodes. We're going to talk about kind of go correla- uh, correlating with what we talked about tonight, oral traditions and the dependability of God's word. So we're going to take what we've learned here tonight. And we're going to apply it over into to Scripture uh, and how we can depend on God's Word. We're going to talk about the canonicity of the Bible. How do we know that the books in the Bible are the ones that belong there? Is the, is the revelation of God still open? Are, are we adding new books to the Bible even now? We'll talk about that. We have Dr. Mark Phillips is going to rejoin us uh, for our 11th episode as we talk about the intertestamental period and the development of the Apocrypha. Now, we talk about the canon. What about the Apocrypha? We'll learn more about that. Dr. Michelle Johnson joins us for uh, our 12th episode as we conclude uh, the month of November. We're going to talk about the historicity of the Bible. In December, we have three weeks. We're going to talk about the genres of biblical literature. We're going to talk about the different genres in the Bible and how we interpret those genres. We're going to, and Curtis, this is going to be one you're going to love, foreshadowing and prophecy. The shadows, the typologies that we see in the Old Testament and presented in the New Testament. We're going to talk a lot about that coming up on that episode. We also going to conclude our bibliology series with a look at Alexandria versus Antioch, an ancient, an ancient controversy that has even spilled over into modern, uh, modern studies. How do we properly in- interpret the Bible? We're going to talk about that coming up in December. And then for the first time ever, I'm excited about this. I don't know about you, Curtis, but we're going to have a winter Bible study. Yep. We're going to take six episodes and do nothing but have a Bible study in the book of Galatians throughout oh, January, 
and half of and half of uh, February. We're just going to take the scripture. We're going to look through the scripture. We're probably probably going to share it on the screen, and uh, we're going to take a look at the scripture and devote uh, those six episodes to looking at the book of Galatians. And then we start a new series in, in spring in March uh, on anthropology. We're going to talk about theories on human origins. Hmm. We're going to ask Curtis, are you ready for this? We're Adam and Eve historical people. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dr. Michelle Johnson is going to rejoin us to talk about the image <laughs> of God. What is the image of God? And then we're going to talk about uh, our humans monistic, uh, dualistic, or tripartite beings. We're going to talk about the soul. Uh, we're going to have another episode on the human soul. We're going to ask the question, why are we here as human beings? And TJ Gentry is going to rejoin us for a discussion on marriage. Marriage. (laughs) 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 Love is what brings us here together. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then in April, goodness. and then in April, we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, <laughs> sorry, we're going to have a look at a very brief series on the nature of sin, homotology. So it's going to be a short series, uh, four episodes. We're going to ask the question, what is sin? We'll look at the origin of sin, the effects of sin, and victory over sin. And then we're going to conclude. Because believe it or not, by this time, Bellator Christie is going to have something ready to publish. <laughs> we have a book project that we're pleased to announce that we're working on this year that yeah. we hope to have ready by the conclusion of season seven. And what I would love to do, I haven't, I haven't talked with the team members. I'm hoping we can get a bunch of team members on to conclude season seven with a look at our book called Why Creationism Still Matters and really just have a good, maybe hopefully a panel discussion with some of our, some of our authors on this work as we reflect back on this book and, and really show the impact that this book is I believe going to have it's going to be an amazing book, and I hope that you'll pick up a copy uh, once it is uh, once it is ready to publish. And then um, we'll, we'll have a close. Uh, we'll have a final, probably have a final episode looking at season eight. And beloved, let me just tell you this before we close this season six out. Let me just tell you, it looks like, barring any major disruptions, it looks like season eight. And uh, going into late 2024-25 will be the last season we have on our systematic theology because we're going to – in season eight, the season after next, we're going to talk about angels and demons. We'll talk about ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and we'll talk about eschatology, which is the study of the end times. And believe it or not, I think we'll have our entire systematic series finished – systematic theology series finished – after next season and we Curtis and I we've been talking about some things coming ahead after the series is over uh and I th- I think we've got some good things coming ahead yeah i'm excited you know um it what what the what god's been doing with this ministry is is quite incredible 
Um, there's things that we can't announce yet, but there's things that are coming that folks are just going to be mind blown. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I think once this machine starts rolling the way it is, I, I can't help but think that, um, that the content is going to, uh, just become more and more and more rich on the website. Um, the articles we've had just amazing uh, lately, and it is only going to get better um, as time goes on. And we have the writers um, getting more comfortable with with putting something out that uh, is going to be part of that. So um, one thing is to, if you are a listener and you are, um, you know, a regular, you know, follower of Bellator Christi, Go to the website and sign up for the newsletter um, and the Sword and Shield, and and you'll get um, some of the inside scoop of what's going on um, in email form, and you'll get it in a um, – is it a PDF or is it is it on a Word file? I don't remember now. For I, I think we can we send about it both uh, so you can get okay. a PDF and a Word file uh, with with the information attached to both. Yeah, so it comes out. It's a, it's just a wonderful thing. You get um, maybe little updates of what the ministry's doing, um, and especially going into this time of the season where um, the 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 podcast isn't going to be as active. Uh, the podcast in video form not going to be um, as active. Um, we will still have a little bit of content, but but stay connected with us with the with getting on the email list, and um, you'll see that that. Just because we might not be on air because this is the type of season, time of season where I'm going in a hundred different directions and Brian is trying to get a bunch of other stuff done himself. And um, it's it really is time and it's time for us to focus on on the project that we just said, you know, the book project. So um, this is definitely one of those times. I think uh, it, it's very important to, to stay connected with us. Um, and if you have some ideas or have some questions, feel free. Ask. We will still be here. We'll still be ask, answering questions and uh, going going for that. In fact, we just had a, a couple of good questions come through that uh, that we put up on the on the the board for our team to tackle, and within a millisecond. <laughs> we had we had a couple say, "Yep, I'll take that one." <laughs> I mean, it was literally that quick. It was like, oh, yep, got it." So, these are questions that are coming in that are getting answered, and they'll either be answered in um, a very personal form back to that person, or they'll be they'll be answered in a um, uh, in an article. And, and it's just it provides a really good opportunity for us to help other people because. If one person asks that question, there's probably more that have that same question. Therefore, that's why we want to do it publicly. And Curtis, before we before we wrap things up tonight, I want to want to first of all remind everybody about my my latest book, Conversations About Heaven. I'm I'm really wanting that this information to get out there because the questions that a lady by the name of Sandy asked. Are some very pertinent questions that really can really impact a lot of people, and I want that information to get out there. So consider buying a copy of Conversations About Heaven. And I would also ask, 
I would ask you to consider going on Amazon.com and leaving a positive review because that'll help get the the, the publicity yes. for the book out there. Yeah, it's it's exactly. It's not about money. It's about getting the message out there because I believe wholeheartedly in the message that this book presents, and I really want it to get out there. So please, please consider going to Amazon.com and leaving a positive review for conversations about heaven. I would greatly appreciate that. Also, really, real quickly, just to let you know, we will have, while we won't be on air, we will have a handful of episodes, little mini episodes, uh, coming your way on, uh, on very, a few theological issues. But I gotta tell you, they're only gonna be found on the, on the, audio podcast they're not going to be on youtube they're not going to be on facebook live um so to get those episodes you need to go to um itunes tune in stitcher google podcasts iHeartRadio, radio uh, anywhere podcasts are found look for the bellator christie podcast and click subscribe and if you do that you'll be sure that you get the uh the the little small episodes that'll come to you over the summer uh, they're going to be just really simple ones, about 15 minutes in length, really easy, digestible podcast coming out over the course of the summer. Also, don't forget um, that uh, we also don't forget the season seven begins September 7th, 2023 of this year. We're starting a brand new season. But also, before we close, I want to ask for you to pray for our team. God is setting us up to do some great things. We're going to hopefully have some things set up very soon where you can uh, offer financial support to Bill and Tor mm-hmm. Christian Ministries. That's on, that's on the radar. It hasn't been set up yet, but that's on the radar if you'd like to help, help us. Pray a secondly. Pray about, pray about that. Pray secondly. Earnest request. Pray that we're able to get stronger internet in our area. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, but we only have one service provider coming down this highway that we live, and the signal is not very good. Um, so if you would pray that we can get better internet down this street, that would help our podcast out exponentially. Uh, it would probably even help some of the glitches that we're having with the podcast as we try to air this live. Mm-hmm. Third, Pray for our team as we're seeking to do great things for Christ. Uh, the devil has been trying to attack uh, the ministry. So um, that's all I'm going to say about that. But I would just ask you to pray for the ministry. Pray for the members of the ministry that God would mm-hmm. put a hedge of protection around each and every one that's part of Bellator Christi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. That's the season ending episode um we went a little long but that's okay um you'll have a long break in between so don't worry about that (laughs) (laughs) we and we here at bellator christy want to thank you for spending that time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. 
all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christi Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christi Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com. We've reached the end of another season at Bellator Christi, but no worries, we'll be back for Season 7, beginning September 7th, 2023. We'll have a series on Bibliology, Homartology, Anthropology, and a lot more. Be sure to catch Season 7 of the Bellator Christi Podcast, coming up Thursday, September 7th. Have you ever had questions about heaven? Have you ever thought about what we'll do there? Will animals be found in heaven? Are NDEs real? Is heaven only going to include worshiping God through music? Or will we be able to engage in other activities? In my upcoming book, Conversations About Heaven, I reflected on the conversations I had about heaven with a woman who attended a former church I served as pastor. These conversations challenged her to see heaven in a new light. Heaven is a place where our our wildest imaginations will come true and the greatest of possibilities will be brought to actuality. Our conversations about heaven gave this woman peace and comfort that she did not have before. In my upcoming book, Conversations About Heaven, I record our conversations and go deeper into the issues and it is my hope that conversations about heaven will give you the same peace that this saintly woman received. Look for my book, Conversations About Heaven, to hit bookstores very soon. Conversations About Heaven is now available at Whiffenstock.com, Amazon.com, and anywhere that books are sold.